the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Liberty in America is under assault. We no longer live in a reality that includes property rights. We're no longer the kings of our own castle. We no longer enjoy the true benefits of capitalism. Instead, we're negotiating our rights with our own government. This isn't how our country was founded. These aren't the ideas of our founders. It's time to seize back our country. This is the Liberty Hour, where these important issues will be discussed for the sake of America's future. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Constitution in the other, here's your host, Sean Thompson. Hello and welcome to the Liberty Hour. Charles Love here. What's up, Macbeth? Good evening. (laughs) Good to be back for another week, hopefully with lots of uh, important information and you learn a lot as usual. Here this first hour, we're taking a break from the norm of race and politics and all that kind of stuff. Yet it's still culture and it's still liberty uh, to talk about a serious topic, the topic of human trafficking. You know, when most people think of it, they think of um, probably the sexual slavery, which is a huge part in the most common, commonly discussed form. But obviously, the people all over the world being forced to work um, against their will and sold by family members and, you know, certain greedy corporations and things of that nature. But it all kind of boils down to evil and greed. Right. People making money off of other people without their uh, knowledge or permission and things of that nature. And it's a very serious problem. According to the State Department, traffickers are denying nearly 25 million people their fundamental right to freedom. And it's something I don't think people talk about enough and we may find out why. So like I Often do I bring on people who know more about the topic than I do, and uh, our first guest is no exception. We are um, hopefully going to listen to her story and allow her to shed some light on the problem and help us all uh, understand it better and figure out a way to address it. She is Ilanka Deaton. She was held in sexual slavery and bondage in South Africa for five years. She is now rescued, redeemed, and set free, and is a healthy, full-of-life, complete woman in Jesus Christ. Ilanka has authored two books, Keeping Secrets, an autobiography of her story, and Secret Freedom, a a, a guided help book for anyone who wants to share their own story. Ilanka, welcome to the Liberty Hour. Charles, thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor. Well, it's great to have you. And uh, obviously, we're going to get into the details on a larger scale and understand what people can do listening to 
help people out or if they know anybody to shed some light to it. But first, I think the listeners need to understand your story. And I want to start back a little before, you know, usually people go right in. So tell me what happened. But uh, I think it's important when we talk about um, how these people are targeted and what happens to get an understanding of both your life. So tell us uh, what your life was like in South Africa when you were young, growing up in your childhood prior to this happening. Charles, I'm so, I'm so glad that you have that perspective because you cannot look at the, the offense of trafficking if you do not look at family trauma that happens before that. Because you're very right. Uh, broken families are targeted you know, for trafficking. So I was born and raised in Johannesburg, South Africa, in a single-parent family home. My dad was a pilot in the Air Force, in South African Air Force. Um, and unfortunately, unfortunately through uh, what we now call PTSD, Um, My mom and my dad went through a divorce when I was roughly about 13 months old. My mother uh, really just focused all of her attention on us and tried to overcompensate by um, allowing us to take part in all kinds of curricular activities and sports. And, you know, the typical thing, you know, you keep kids busy and they're not going to get in trouble. Mm -hmm. I was a baby of the family. I have uh, two older brothers. And I really was the baby of the family. You know, I pretty much got away with anything. And life was really uh, fascinating in South Africa. I, I have great memories of growing up as a child. I have great memories of my family and playing with my brothers. But one thing that was missing in my life at a very early stage was the fact that I felt abandoned by my father. Mm-hmm. My dad wasn't able to be to be a daddy, as we would say here in the U.S. He, he just wasn't able to participate in my life or pour uh, wisdom into my life or just even to be there. And I felt that lack as a very young girl. I can remember being four and five years old and wondering what it must be like to, to dance on your dad's feet because I never experienced that. Mm. And as I got older, seven, eight, nine, ten, that abandonment hole in my heart just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So looking to my mother or looking to my eldest brother, I, I, I always try to find the lighthouse of home. Where could I feel safe? Where can I feel secure? Who is the person that's going to give me this guidance? And unfortunately, you know, I believe that God created the family unit as a unit. And when one of those people are missing, it leaves a, a, a very deep, painful hole for children. And that we cannot understand because my brain wasn't developed to the point of being able to understand divorce, right? Right. And you don't know what you don't know, right? You you, you know that there's something missing, but how do you know what it is because it's not there? I think that's really important because so many people, I I mean, you you, you talk, like I said, eventually this all comes back to the culture. You talk now, there's this big movement, supposedly pro-woman, and it's not that anyone wants anybody to be lacking uh, freedoms or abilities to do things, but in their right. effort to gain things, they act like the other side is not important. So you don't need men, you know, the famous Betty Friedan, I need a man like I need a, like a fish needs a bicycle kind of deal. And so we're creating right. a culture where people are like, well, what does the dad really bring to the, to the, to the picture and to the family? You know, as long as you got your mom there, that's all that matters. And see, that's kind of what, that's what, what I wanted to, yeah, that's what I wanted to understand because 
It sounds like obviously she did what she could, but your mom was there, there. Obviously you were missing something, but your mom was there. It's not like when you say broken home, it's like what most people think. It's not just, they don't care about the dad. They're like, well, somebody must have been doing drugs or maybe mom didn't care about you and abandoned you and all that. It's not that. It's just that, you know, you don't have that whole unit and you felt that something was missing and everything wasn't as perfect as it seems to be. Correct. And, and Charles, I grew up in a middle-class family. My mother has uh, master's degrees in languages. She was a professor at the university. My dad, you know, finished uh, college. Every single woman in my family has a degree. Mm-hmm. I come from a very, very well-educated middle-class family that you would not expect something like this to happen to. Mm-hmm. And, but my dad not being present left a very big weakness in my family. And I think it does for any... Any, any family where a parent is missing, whether it's from someone who died, unfortunately, or a divorce, or a divorce that happens, it creates an opportunity and an opening, unfortunately, for predators to come in. Um, and I, as a, as a 10-year-old and 11-year-old, um, I experienced tremendous uh, social anxiety. That was one of the very first signs that something was amiss, uh, you know, in my heart. And um, I, I, for instance, uh, did not want to be separated from my mom. It was very difficult for me uh, to have sleepovers with friends or to go play after dark because I always wanted to go home because I was scared to death that she was also going to leave and I was going to be abandoned. So the closer I attached myself to her, the safer I felt, right? Mm -hmm. And that also was another sign. And mom saw that when I was young. It, it was obvious that there was that there was a problem and that it was because of my dad, uh, that my dad wasn't there. But he just never he just never was able to step into that role um, of being a father to us. So wow. it's a very sad it's, it's very sad. And it's something that I've had to that I've had to work through and deal with. And later in my story, I have I have a gr- great redemption with my earthly father. And I got to know a man that I never knew. But that came much, much, much later. I was in my late 20s at that point before my dad became sober. Wow. That's good that you at least got to meet him and get some closure and have a, uh, a better understanding. And even talk to him and explain to him what that uh, is being gone, how that affected you. Correct. Yes. And, and dad was, uh, it, it wasn't that he just disappeared for, for years. He was in and out. So we would, he would come and just show up, you know, intoxicated at home and we would see him and I, I didn't want to go with him because he was intoxicated and mom wouldn't let us go to protect us. Um, the typical, you know, just dad who, who drinks, who comes, but he never, um, not to my knowledge or at least in my life, he was never physically abusive to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom kind of stood in between his drinking and us. Right. Um, so I never saw violence from my dad in, in that kind of a sense. Just the fact that he wasn't available or wasn't there or that alcohol was more import- important or f- friends and partying was more important than raising his children. Well, um, well and I, mm-hmm. oh, I, I'm glad that we were able to set that uh, foundation and create that baseline. You yeah. know, we have some time here. You're here for the whole hour. So I, I don't want you to uh, feel rushed and I want to be able to. Uh, to talk about that, but I think that's important for people to understand that yeah. um, there's 
It's not always, there's always some dysfunction there, which is a key because people prey on it and we'll get to that. But it's not always the way we see it. We hear dysfunction. It doesn't mean that, you know, people were living, you know, living financially uh, uh, cash strapped or they have a drug addiction or things of that nature. There's always something there, but but it's not... the families aren't immune. It could be any type of family from any educational or financial uh, economic background, and that's important. Absolutely. But, um, but when we come back, I want you to go get into telling me what happened, how you ended up getting out and escaping, and uh, you know, give us that story uh, on the other side. Uh, we're talking to uh, Ilanka Deaton, author, singer, and survivor. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM560, The Answer. It's the Liberty Hour. Here's your host, Sean Thompson, on AM560, The Answer. I say that I'm in chains. You say I'm free. I say that I'm staying. You say I'm clean. I say. Welcome back to the Liberty Hour. That was uh, the sounds of Alanka Deaton, Deaton, our uh, guest here you're listening to. She's an author, obviously singer and speaker and survivor of sexual slavery who's here to talk about um, what happened and how she was able to escape and turn her life around. Alanka, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Charles. So we had talked about your family and how you had gotten up to where you were, and I think you were 10 or 11. And then um, tell us about the uh, competition, because you do obviously uh, have a beautiful voice and love to sing. Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, as a, as a youngster, I just loved music. Music was an escape for me. Uh, God blessed me, um, you know, to be able to sing, and I just really enjoyed it. Um, taking part in I State Fits in, uh, in school, it really gave me the opportunity to craft, you know, what I would like to sing, and I would like to sing it. And, and two, with the brokenness in my family, I would just go to a park and then just go sing my heart out and feel better. So it was really an outlet for me. But around uh, 11, 12 years old, um, there was a, a national singing competition taking part in, in Johannesburg. And a neighbor, a neighbor friend of mine who was roughly around my, my age just said, hey, listen, my, she said her mom is getting ready to marry a new, a new guy who's going to be her stepdad. And he's in the music industry. And there's this competition that they're hosting. And he, she'd love when I come over for a play date the next time, she'd love to introduce me and, um, so I can hear all about this this music competition because she knows I love to sing. You know, I used to record Def Leppard um, on tape, and I would learn the lyrics with her, and so she knew that I just loved, you know, music and lyrics and all that stuff. So for her, it was just, you know, hey, come to my house and come and check this out. So one day I went and and, and uh, got to meet uh, this person, and we'll just call him for we'll just call him John, okay? So I got to meet John, and John just said, uh, look, here's a pamphlet, and give this to your mother. And he seemed very nice, and uh, he was roughly a little bit older than my mom. So just to give you perspective, he would now be somewhere in his 70s, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. 
and uh, he um, he he seemed like a, just a, a very nice guy who cared about um, uh, their family, and he had two kids of his own that were younger than I was. So no red flags stood out to me at first. So I gave my mom the pamphlet, and she entered me into the, into the competition, and I went through all the rounds. And again, it was kind of like American Idol, but way before American Idol existed, okay? And I ended up winning this competition. I won $50, which was the most allowance I'd ever gotten in my life. <laughs> and then I also got a, uh, the option to sign my first record deal and to tour. And my mom, was, my mom sat down with John and spoke to him about it in depth and you know, wanted to make sure that I would be safe in an environment like this and ended up agreeing that I could, you know, make my first record. So as we signed the agreement, I, uh, the almost nine months into my in, into my career, from that point forward, I made a record. I started touring. I got to work with publicists and hairstylists, and you know, the same as what you have here in the states. You know, just the who's who surround you with making sure that they can market you well as an artist. And I thought that all of my dreams had come true. Well. John kind of stepped into, into a father role in my life. He became someone who I looked up to. He became someone that I started trusting. Um, he became someone who really gave me good advice about the music industry. How, how, you, how do you hone your craft and connect me with the right people? My mother started trusting him, right? What I did not realize is the reason that he came into our family wasn't so much because he really thought that I had talent. It was because he was preying on my family. And that whole nine months was grooming for what was about to come. The very first time my mother allowed John to pick me up and take me to a rehearsal because she was a single parent, she had three jobs, she had to work. He picked me up, I knew something was wrong. My intuition, I couldn't tell you then, now I can tell you it was my intuition, that screamed this man has evil intent for you. When we got to the rehearsal space, um, no one else was there. And when, when we walked in, he locked the door behind us. And I knew something bad was about to happen. And he proceeded to sexually assault me. Um, it was violent. It was the most frightening thing I've ever been, been through in my life. I don't know if you have ever been um, in the presence when evil is silent. It's pretty scary when evil becomes silent in front of you. And that man who I thought was going to be a father figure in my life turned into a monster. And after, um, after he was done, he uh, threatened to kill my mother if I said anything. And Charles, in a split second, without anybody asking me to do this, I made an agreement with myself emotionally to protect my family. I could not bear the thought of anybody taking my mother away from me. See, now it goes back to that abandonment piece, right? Yep, I already yep. have this abandonment piece with my dad. So now he's threatening the only thing that I hold dear. My mother hung the moon to me when I was 12 years old. She was all I had. So he was threatening her very life. So I made that agreement to, and made a vow of silence. Not even vocally to him, just in my, in my heart. I just made mm -hmm. that secret. And I went home. Uh, he took me home. I wasn't taken across the border. It wasn't like the movie taken. I wasn't abducted, anything like that. He drove me home. Right. And knowing that I would not say anything. 
And when I got home, my mom knew something had happened to me. It was the first time that I wanted privacy from her. Um, she got the next couple of months, you know, after that, in that period of time, she got the pa- pastors and, and youth leaders and school counselors, anybody that she could get to come and talk to me to see if they could r- break through to what had happened to me. And I just wouldn't say anything. I was hospitalized for sleep therapy. I just, I just wasn't going to say anything. And I, I desperately had hoped that it wasn't going to happen. So then uh, John would, would call because he managed my career. He was the liaison between me and the record company, between me and all the, the um, uh, contracts that I had for going out and touring. So he would call to check on me because my mom said, Lonka's not doing good. Then he would talk to her and give her a story of, you know, it's okay, this is new, and she'll, she'll get used to this. And, and then he'd get on the phone with me and say, are you ready to be a good girl? And if you are, then you can sing. And remember what will happen if you don't. And then he continued to threaten my brothers, that he would take my whole family from me. And eventually that he would kill me. Mm-hmm. So I kept quiet. Um, the second time that he abused me was about, uh, it was three to five months after that. And then the abuses became rapidly more and more frequent as it continued. So my, my story of, of, of trafficking and being kept as a sex slave started with, with child abuse. Right. And it is very hard to have a conversation about trafficking if we don't have a conversation about child abuse. You know, every nine minutes in the United States, Child Protective Services substantiate enough evidence to file a new claim for child sexual abuse. Every nine minutes in the United States. This is how a lot of this starts. It doesn't just start with, with like the movie Taken. Right. A lot of it starts with childhood right. abuse. And that's an important yeah. point to make because, you know, you got different, as bad and evil as this is, you have different sections and different buckets of this. So you, like you say, even right. when people do talk about it, which is rare, they think it's someone's mm-hmm. just snatched and taken away and moved through a channel of evil people to different countries and things of that nature, which does happen. But a lot of this right. is control and power and things of that nature. I hear we're coming up to the break. We'll finish the story and then talk about uh, what we can do, like I said, to help those in need. Uh, we're list- talking here to um, Alonka De- Deaton, author, singer and speaker. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM 560. The answer. Liberty Hour. Call Sean now at 312-642-5600. Welcome back to the Liberty Hour. Charles Love here with Alanka Deaton, author, singer, and public speaker, telling us her story of uh, survival. And when we left the last segment, we were talking about control and how uh, this, these things aren't done in a vacuum and aren't done by happenstance. Um, in your situation, you went back home. You were going home. You were living with your mom while this was happening. So... It's not a situation right. where you were hidden away somewhere because this thing is all about 
like I said before the break, control. And these people groom and they pick certain people in certain situations and they test the waters to see if it works. Uh, obviously, th- th- this is evil. This is not just somebody, you know, still in still in a, a, a candy bar or just, you know, needing money for uh, food or something. This is a, a particular evil. Right. But but you said right. it was months. For, I think you said it was nine mm-hmm. months from the time you met him and you and you went into the uh, competition mm-hmm. to this happening. It's because right. he wanted to make yeah. sure the situation was right. He wanted to build a rapport right. with your mom. So at some point he knew you react, you would react. So when you reacted, he wanted to have a, an excuse to fall back on, already have a comfort level with your mom and things of that nature. And that's what right. is important for everyone else to understand that because, you know, a lot of people who've never been in this situation don't know. They just say, hey, why don't you do this? Or, you know, I get the people who are taken like you keep move, referencing the movie. Take it. I get those people because they can't escape. But you were going home with your mom. You could just, you know, turn on the light and just say something one day and and, and everything's over. But it doesn't work that way. People aren't understanding yeah. that those people who are most likely to speak up right away, those people have a, a, those those terrible predators have have a you know, kind of a homing device for those type of people. And they'll say, okay, if that's the case, I'll just avoid that and move on to the next person. They won't even try it. They're not going to target in those that situations. person. Correct. Yes. So they understand mm-hmm. that. Right. So uh, it's important for people to know that. So when they're trying to help or when they hear these stories or when they talk about this, they understand how they, how intricate this, this, this plan is, you know, they, they're willing to wait for a while. You even said it, it, the uh, frequency. Right. Oh, they're it went very methodical. Afterwards, yeah. Very it's, it's, methodical, so, it's, slow moving. And for him, he started so young. What would you know at 12 anyway, right? So, you know, sure. tell everybody how this eventually ended uh, because it did yeah. and, and how you got out. Mm-hmm. Well, through the five years that I was kept in this, um, it was a year from the first time they assaulted me uh, to bring me into the whole trafficking ring where I got to meet some of the other young girls in the same situation as me. And I was unintentionally rescued, thank God, at 17 years old by a police officer who's off duty, who was moonlighting at a casino to make some extra money. And from that point forward, um, I had not seen John, who, who did any of this to me. Up until now, I've never seen him again. Um, and because he fled and went into hiding, and I couldn't explain what had happened uh, to the, in the totality of what was going on in my life and why I all of a sudden had so many contracts cancel on my career. So the, I ran away from home and for almost a year. And my mom, through the help of uh, police and um, some family members, eventually found me. And we shortly after that in 2001 immigrated to the United States. Charles, I can tell you, when we, when we immigrated to the United States, I thought that I could run away from my past. And just pretend to be someone else. And I, I walked into this country filled with anxiety, depression, suicide ideation, no idea who I was, no identity, broken spirit, um, just a shell of a person. So much so that by age 25, I had attempted suicide twice. You know, we see that in trafficking survivors, you know, the, uh, the, the average life expectancy of someone who's rescued before they attempt suicide is seven years of any human trafficking survivor, men or women. Mm-hmm. Because of the amount of trauma, the, the complex trauma that's present in their lives and how, how, how worthless you feel and how you have no identity. Because you are so brainwashed by, by traffickers and predators and abusers. It's awful. Um, so me, like many other survivors, thought, you know, I'm just going to end my life. Well, thank God I did not die. And it was after my first attempt of suicide that um, I was invited to a church. 
and I uh, I went I went to church reluctantly with who is now my husband Bill, and I heard a grace message of Jesus, and it changed my life. I um, attempted suicide that afternoon for the second time, and it was after that second suicide attempt that, and this is just my story, Charles, that I just heard God call out to me and say, Yolanda, why? Just ask me for help. Just cry out to me. And I did. And I felt peace. The very first thing that I felt was I just felt peace come over me. And from that point forward, this is now a 12-year journey. That I, This is the 12th year since the Lord saved me that He has just transformed my life and shown me who I really am and re-identified my identity and gave me a voice and showed me that He has saved and rescued me from this. And it's a miracle that I'm here today. But He did it so that I can now do exactly this, Charles. That I can have people on the other end of the radio listening and, and, and think, I want to be free. I want to be rescued. I want to be redeemed. I want to be able to speak freely about what happened to me in my life. I don't want to be stuck. I don't want to be chained. I don't want to be emotion bound. And God has been so good to me and completely restored um, my, 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 my marriage with my husband. Um, it's, just, it's amazing. I have two beautiful children, and I fight every day for freedom. I'm a, a liberty fighter. You know, for freedom, I'm, I'm, I'm very conservative in my views in life as well. And mm-hmm. I will continue to fight to give people a voice. That is Alanka Deaton telling her story. When we come back, we will continue our conversation and talk about what we can do, what you and I can do, how we spread the word, and you know how we can save, help save some people. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM560, The Answer. You're listening to the Liberty Hour with Sean Thompson. Get on the line with Sean by calling 312 312- Six four two fifty six hundred. Welcome back to the Liberty Hour. Charles Love here. We are talking to Ilanka Deaton about her survival from uh, sexual slavery. And she was telling us how she made it to the point that she is. And I wanted to talk about the importance since we talk and we want to talk about what you do, what you speak about and uh, how we can change some lives. And what I think is important that yeah. is rarely said at the beginning is you mentioned something about your, the, your first in, uh, encounter with uh, John um, when uh, you were alone and you said a, a really mm-hmm. important word. You said evil. I don't think people enough people in today's society, since we're moving away from God and we're moving away from mm-hmm. morals, understand that word what people say is they make the mistake of they want to blame all the issues in the world today on all these you know race and financial things it's because i'm a woman it's because i'm black it's because you know i'm poor it's because of this which a lot of some things are but we're negating the fact that some people are just evil these people who traffic people we you and i agree and we talked about the fact that they prey on a certain type of people yes so broken homes are worse and and more susceptible to these things happening than intact homes yes but the bottom line is some people are evil no it's like the average person wouldn't walk down the street 
and see a guy passed out with with his wallet hanging out his pocket with you know four hundred dollar bills and take it. Now we can say that that may not be the best position for him to be in, but most of us right. wouldn't take the money. There's a certain type Correct. of people who just say, "I'm going to disregard life and I'm going to abuse people." And I'm going to take advantage of them, you know, sexually, financially. I'm going to sell them. I'm going to make them work for me so I can make a profit and not pay them. We need to understand first that there's evil in the world. And too many people yeah. don't want to understand that. Yeah, it's not very hard, Charles. You're either driven by light or darkness. And you, you're either on one side or the other side. There is no gray. It's you're either driven by light or you're driven by darkness. And if you are driven by darkness and you fall into all the nefarious things that goes along with it. And we've right. seen that. You know, and, and um, listen, I can't tell your listeners how, how to feel politically about things, but I can tell you one thing. Since President Lincoln, the only other leader of, of a free world that has ever stood up on a public stage and said, I will not condone the darkness of children being abused and trafficking, and, uh, sex trafficking and human trafficking in our nation is President Donald Trump. And say what you want to of the guy. He has stood up. He has given $35 million to survivors who cannot pay for their own therapy. Now organizations can file grants to have access to that money, which is helping organizations. Um, under Operation Broken Heart in his first year in office, more than mm-hmm. 2,300 um, online sex traffickers were arrested. This is right. remarkable. Right. I mean, th- those are just two things that he's done. There's a list of mm-hmm. nine things that he's done. And he's got uh, $70 million slated in his next term to fight trafficking. And because so many I people mean, hate him, they're focused on other yeah. things. I mean, they even attacked that. I was going to mention that you brought it up because you, you uh, pinned an article for a town hall talking about that. And you talk, pointed out yeah. what he's done. But you also right. talked about the hypocrites and the people who attack him, you know, for political purposes and want to ignore. I mean, like, how can you be against this positive thing? And, and I oh want to go gosh. even it makes me be, sick. Yeah. Even yeah, bigger than that. And say, say that. why don't people talk about it? You know, I see we've never met. So I'm a black man. So let me tell you, we hear this in the news all the time about the race factor and 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 the, also the me too movement and things pro woman and things of that nature and i think i mentioned it once before on the show is that so we're talking about black lives matter but no one's mm-hmm. saying anything about the fact that there's 60,000 missing black women just in Come america See? no one said Come a on. word so i tell people that and they're shocked that? people are shocked they don't even know it so that's yeah. the first step one unit number one is we need to understand that there's evil and number two we need to understand that um, some of these things, it, just the first thing you can do to try, try to solve them is talk about them. People rarely talk. I think they did an ad once on the Super Bowl about it. Other than that, no one talks right. about human trafficking at no, all. No, they don't. No. So how are you going to solve they it don't if no one's talking so, about it? It's so tied in with pornography, unfortunately, and so many people who view pornography. Um, right. And you're right. We have to raise awareness about it. We have to have parents talk to their kids, have age-appropriate conversations with their kids. Baylor University did an amazing resource for parents, how to talk to your kids age-appropriately from age five onwards. And and I would just urge individuals who are listening to this, like, you've got to self-examine yourself. If you're someone that goes home and watches pornography, dude, you've got a problem, or, or gal, you've got a problem. And I, I don't <laughs> judge you, but I want help for you. You know, that that's not the life of freedom. There's darkness there. You know, we, I wanna, want you to walk in the light. Um, individuals should attend in-depth training sessions about uh, human trafficking. And human trafficking, uh, the humantraffickinghotline.org 
provides it for free and you can go on and just sign up and sit through what and get all the signs of what to look for, what not to do, um, how to talk to your kids, how to, how to approach the conversation so that you don't traumatize your kids in the process because we don't want that. Um, but we do want you to have age-appropriate conversations with your kids because the only way that we are going to even attempt to solve this problem is talking about it. You are so right. We yeah. have to talk about these issues. Yes. Yeah. Well, this, this is our last break. When we come back, you can uh, tell us about your books and about your public speaking, any events and things you have coming up. We're talking to Alonka Deaton. You're listening to you the Liberty it. Hour. Thank you. On AM 560, The Answer. This is the Liberty Hour. Here's your host, Sean Thompson, on AM 560, The Answer. Welcome back to the Liberty Hour. Charles Love here talking with Ilanka Deaton. And uh, with our last segment here, I want you to uh, let us know where they can find you. Give us a promo, your book, your website, uh, and how people can follow you. Absolutely. Charles, thanks for the opportunity. I'm so, I'm so honored and glad to have been on, on your program. Um, it, for anybody listening, if you go to ilankadeaton.com, um, we have, I've got tons of just information, links to my books, which are both on Amazon. Uh, there's music links up there as well. And there's also a contact page. So if any, anything that I mentioned, if you need resources, I love to resource people with help. There's so much free help in the United States uh, for anything from counseling to cutting uh, to cyber tip help, um, focus on the family, yeah, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, it doesn't matter. If you need a resource, reach out to us and someone from my team or myself will get in touch with you to give you those resources. But Amazon, uh, my first book is called Keeping Secrets. The second one is Secret Freedom. That's the workbook for women to tell their own stories. And I'm also all over YouTube. I've been on the Steve Harvey show and with the same topic, and it's, it's all over the place. So if you just Google my name, you'll be able to find, to find things. But my best resource would be my website, which is ilankadeaton.com. And uh, what is it like when you go out to speak to uh, groups and talk about your story or talk about uh, resources? Uh, what do people say? What do they come up to you afterwards and uh, ask you and things of that nature? Charles, when I share my story, people walk up to me and they hand me their hearts in their hands. They hand me their stories and they tell me just brokenness of things that they've gone through that is just very, very heartbreaking. And they just want someone to give them permission to go forward in freedom and to tell them that it's going to be okay and to be a lighthouse for them. That's what people need. There's a lot of sadness in this world. They want hope. People want hope. We, ha we have to give people hope in such a dark topic. And uh, they want to be resourced. They want to know what they can do, how they can be part. Some people are in a position where they can financially assist. So organizations, some are in a position to where they can be volunteers, right? And so you want to resource people into those specific areas of what their needs are, or if they're a person, person that's in need of needing help, that we give that to them. And I see those are the main three things that I see when I speak live, is people wanting to get involved, people needing resources because they are hurting themselves, and then those individuals who are financially looking for an outlet to support the cause. Right. Um, well, I really appreciate it. I think that it's important to uh, shed some light on it. And most people don't know about it. And you're coming on and, you know, being brave enough to spread your 
to share your story and to let people know what happened to you and give others uh, who are in similar situations the uh, courage to speak up. I think it's important. I think other people, it's like every other problem we have. If you don't shed light on it and people don't get involved, nothing happens. And I uh, commend you for it. And I thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Again, she is Alonka Deaton, author, singer, speaker, and survivor. Thank you for uh, coming on to uh, speak with me. Thank you so much, Charles. I hope you have a blessed night, brother. You too. Thank you. Well, that was uh, really good. Hopefully you'll go to her website. As she said, her website was Alonka Deaton. Her name is spelled I-L-O-N-K-A-D-E-A-T-O-N. And find some of those resources and just, um, and, and I challenge you, and especially people who hate Trump, to look up what he's done. And, and uh, in general, just try to find, while he's president, anything from a policy standpoint that is positive and at least uh, focus on that and not only look at the negative because there are definitely some things that are happening and some problems and uh, we as the citizens should and will be the solution not the politicians but if we don't know uh, we can't do anything about it and coming up the second hour it sounds like we're going to ride out this segment with our Alanka song wash you're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM560 The Answer listening to the liberty hour with sean thompson get on the line with sean by calling 312-642-5600 welcome to the liberty hour charles love here hopefully hopefully uh our next guest is going to bring a little levity since we were a little heavy the last hour. Important information, a really important conversation, but a little heavy. And uh, as always, uh, 8 o'clock. I almost did it again, Macbeth, and said 9 o'clock. 8 o'clock! We are uh, here with Patrick Brutus, our frustrated and often as of late angry black man, but frustrated Democrat. Patrick, how are you? <laughs> Hey, Charles, what's going on? Hey, Macbeth, how's everybody doing tonight? Yes, I've been angry lately. Yeah, don't don't be like that. We can't, We need the frustrated Democrat. We don't need the angry one. There's enough angry black well, men you know, out there. And, <laughs> and there's continued reasons to be a frustrated Democrat, Charles. I tell you, a lot going on. Oh, really? What happened? I, I'm feeling, but wait, I'm feeling really good right now. I think my, my New York story is going to beat you, but go ahead. What's going on? Why is it a good time to be a frustrated Democrat? Well, well, you know, I, I won't segue away from some of the, you know, just short topics of Chicago stuff. But, you know, we're talking about Illinois fair tax. They want to raise the proper the income tax, the personal income tax on income earners of two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or more. Mm-hmm. But there's really more to it than meets the eye with that uh, ballot initiative. And then I just read uh a Facebook statement by a Chicago alderman. And, and you know, because we've talked about this, I think, in the last few weeks, about Chicago's uh, looming debt crisis that, you know, threatens mm. to upend the city budget. We're at $1.2 billion shortfall. Mm-hmm. And a Chicago alderman just proposed and is advocating the idea that Chicago residents should face a property tax increase 
because as you know, Chicago doesn't have the ability to tax you on income, but they do on the residential, right? And so Mm -hmm. uh, this alderman is proposing a tax increase, and we're also facing, you know, those who are high earners facing a income tax at the state level increase. I mean, do people think that we have the stomach for this? No, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant. I think three weeks ago, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Macbeth, I was like, I say every, just do it. Just raise everybody's tax on everything. You two mocked me. I'm serious. Raise the tax. I don't know which alderman you're talking about, but I love this guy. There is a case to be made for just just burning it all down now. Tax it. Tax it. The more gradual you do it, the less people are actually going to understand it and recognize it in real time. But, I mean, are there any right. high earners left in Illinois? <laughs> Haven't they all moved to, like, Delavan and, and, and uh, southern Wisconsin? Yeah, northwest well, Indiana. Well, well, think about it. All dyer! Dyer! Wisconsin, <laughs> Indiana, Iowa, I believe, yeah. Iowa, they've all reduced their personal income taxes, you know, their levy or whatever, how they tax their state. And so they have made it more favorable to more attractive, really yeah. uh, attractive for the business climate as well as for residential people, well, right, to move into well, those states. And, and, and here we are going the opposite direction, opposite direction while we lose population. Well, hold on right there. I mean, obviously, this is going to be the, the tax segment. So let's slow down a bit. Go back at the beginning. You opened with fair tax because you got to explain that to some people. I think I get it because, you know, on my way out the door, when I slammed my foot on the gas and waved goodbye and gave you the you know what on my way out of that right. joint, um, they were talking to, talking about that, too. And, you know, this whole uh, 1984 double speak kind of thing that the mm-hmm. left does, your people do. Everything sounds yeah, different. Yeah. So I remember so the flat tax. The, so I'm assuming right. the fair tax is not fair. So what is the fair tax? So I've called it the unfair tax. Okay. And as you know, and I want our listeners, cause you know, I try to be informative and Illinois has a flat tax of 4.95% for all income. Which brackets, used to be lower. Right? Which used to be lower. Which used to be no, lower. no, no, that's temporary. I, be- <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's temporary. So yeah. it, it used to be lower, but still, I think 4.95 is not bad. So it's flat tax for everybody, right? Okay, everybody's happy. Now, to change the income to make, tax to make rate, it equal, ha- to make it equal. <laughs> well, no, to change, to change it, period. Oh, to, in order to change it, yeah. To do a conventional, uh, a constitutional constitution, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It's an amendment. It's a state constitutional amendment. But they finagled their way into making it a ballot initiative. So that's why it's on the ballot here for November right. 3rd, okay? So people mm-hmm. are going to vote on oh, it. Oh, wait, 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 let's go, wait, wait, slow down, slow down, slow down. This is awesome. This is brilliant. I but love the it. Tax, hold so, on, but the tax increase isn't on the ballot. It's just an amendment to the Constitution for right, the Illinois State Constitution that it. says that they can determine whatever right. the tax rates they want. But 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 yeah, hold right. on well, just they, a minute. Yeah. My, my only point is here is this is, this is uh, so awesome. So what you're saying is, they can't do it unless it's on the Constitution, uh, a constitutional change, and they need the people to do it. So they got to let the people vote their own demise. Right. And they, awesome. have, they have paraded out Suckers. the bandwagon. Suckers. Exactly. They've paraded out the bandwagon of uh, black reverends, preachers, uh, activists, uh, and, you know, Democratic uh, uh, lap dog ponies. Right. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. got them out here now saying vote. And sometimes actual ponies. Tax. Vote for it. And sometimes actual <laughs> ponies. Right. So, you know, those horses end up getting captured by the Chicago Police Department. But that's right. another story. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got everybody out here advocating and pushing and encouraging and cajoling voters to consider and voting yes on this initiative. OK, okay so let's say now, they get the constitutional they change. What do they want to do? 
So they want to raise it to seven seven five. Ooh, ooh. For for folks for folks earning two hundred and fifty or more, and seven point nine nine for folks earning a million dollars or more, and the corporate income tax rate will go up to ten percent, right, on those businesses in those in in, in that um, you know what that bracket the, of revenue. What happens to the people making two hundred two fifty? The people making two hundred and fifty or let's say no. two hundred and forty nine 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 or below, yeah. they mm-hmm. stay at the four point nine five. But so everybody, thing, that's everybody else. Like All me, right. I, I want to make sure they mean everybody. Okay, okay. Well, I'm under the threshold, so right. you know, I'm, I'm so you're good. Everybody else, okay. you're good. Right, I'm mm-hmm. good. However, the first year, right until January when he gets his raise. Exactly. Uh-huh. You said that. Thank you. So I'm glad you said that, Macbeth, because here's the little secret here: the the Voting yes on this, if they if they if it passes, if, if this measure passes, they don't need to go back allow... to you to change it again. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. So you guys are taking everything out of my lip, out of my mouth. <laughs> well, we're good at this because it's, so right. it's so obvious. Because it's so obvious. That's the danger, and that's the danger. So when they are going to project a three point four billion dollar increase in revenue from this amendment to the Constitution that that jumps the tax rate, and when that revenue does not come in, right? That projected revenue won't come in. You know it won't because what will happen is those people and those businesses, all those people who are considered rich, right? They will get the best tax attorneys. They will get the best accountants and they will go do their magic with numbers to pay less and they will not get that projected revenue. So the next year, Macbeth, they will raise the income tax at other levels of, you know, revenue income for other Illinois residents. And so that's where we're going to pay for it. And we won't have anything to, to say to stop it, right? Now, if everyone's been following the news, and I posted about this this week on my social media pages, um, they have been threatening a 20% increase across the board for everybody if this doesn't pass. So 20% would be 594 a jump from 4.95, right? So you know that's what's going to happen next year. And we're voting for us, like you said, Charles, our own demise today to get our heads mm-hmm. cut off tomorrow. And they have bandied out. But it's democracy because you got to say. In the name of education, Charles, they're oh, saying God. they're doing not, this. Not the E word. Not the E word. Nope, nope. Now I'm getting upset. And they always, and they it was all fun and games. It was all fun and games. So you said the E word. Whenever you hear education or children in relation to political, especially tax policy, go out in the backyard and bury your wallet because they are coming for it. And it always is fake. And you know what Kamala said this week? Kamala said, they're coming for you. They're coming for you. And Pritzker is coming for you. Yeah, if you have pre-existing ideas. coming for you. That's it. They're coming for us. And and then on top of that, we hear, I got to read just now that a Chicago alderman wants to raise the property tax. He's in favor of raising property taxes. So now, we're going to get it here. I say at this point, population. all Time of you, push, well, I, I say at this point, all of you have been pushing back against this. I laud you. I think it was uh, noble of you and important of there you, you to try to, but at this point I'm like, do, do it, do it. Raise everything. I, 42%. I, I, yeah. Every tax should be raised. 42%. Charles that's, that's scorched earth. Love <laughs> do it. Do it. Property and, and taxes. Trump, so, and not even a percent. I say raise it to a percentage plus. So it would be like 13% plus $500 flat. And Charles, <laughs> I, I, look, politically, politically, 
I agree with you. If I was the chief of staff for the mayor or the governor, politically, as recently just elected folks in their first two years, I would do it right now also because you still have time for the voters to forget the pain that they're about to experience before the next election. And so I would do it politically, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, but hey, you know, here we go. Commercial <laughs> break. Let's talk about it after the Look break. Look at that guy. He's, he's setting us up. Come back with more. Patrick Bruce, the extra frustrated Democrat. You're listening to the Liberty Hour, AM 560, The Answer. They bought their tickets. They knew what they were getting into. I say, let them crash. This is the Liberty Hour. Here's your host, Sean Thompson, on AM 560, The Answer. Everybody knows that I'm not Sean Thompson. Welcome back to or the Leonard Liberty Cohen. Hour. Good grief. Hey, hey, whoa. Well, I wouldn't go with Leonard. Uh, Charles here. Well, that's his with- the frustrated, uh, <laughs> the frustrated Democrat, uh, Patrick Brutus. And last segment, we were talking about taxes. What you got on, on, on tap now? Uh, well, you know, okay. Let's well, I guess I, wait, wait, stop. I guess I can ask you this. How do you, uh, how do you think you Can you hear the uh, desperation in his voice when he started to answer that question? Yeah, he took a deep, <sighs> but I, I'm going to give him yeah. one more. I'm going to make him a little more frustrated. Um, how, um, do you think your people fared at the end of the debate? Uh, so Kabbalah versus Mike, that would be it. Yeah. I think honestly, I think that Mike Pence won the debate in my estimation. He won the debate in my estimation. Kamala made herself look bad because I think the burden of proof is on the, the, the person running against the incumbent to show that they are either equal to the job or up to the job or better than the person in the job. So I I said this before on the black table, Charles, I said that Kamala, all she's going to have, if they do a virtual, uh, I remember we were talking, we were talking about doing virtual debates at, at this time because of COVID. And I said, if she does a virtual debate, all she will have really going for her is her facial reactions. Right. You did say that it's on tape. Turns out, turns out, in real life debating, that's all she had. <laughs> that's all she had. But yeah. unfortunately, the media doesn't call it straight. They glamorized her smile, and they mm-hmm. categorized her reaction to Mike Pence as him interrupting her and her having to you know, reclaim her time and right. grab her stuff, and then how much more difficult it is for a female candidate in, right. in politics. When... Right. She was a DA and the AG and a senator and a candidate for president. So we shouldn't treat her with kid gloves. Right. She uh, is a rough and tough knuckle bearing, you know, candidate. I expected well, more from her and I was sorely disappointed. Well, let's see how good you are. You know, I know you and we do enough of this to know. So you talk about the black table. Had we been a, not had technical difficulties and recorded, what would I have said about the debate? <laughs> You would have said, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. Oh, almost, <laughs> almost, almost. You forgot that I didn't watch it part. Yeah. You yeah, forgot you about that. Yeah, I would have said, don't care, didn't watch it. I don't even know why we're discussing this crap. Would have been my response. Yeah, right. you, might, you might have said <laughs> it doesn't matter anyway, right? Because nobody votes for vice president, right? Right, right. I, I might so, have said that. I would have been quick. I, right. would, I, I would have yielded my time to you. Ask Patrick. I didn't watch that crap, which would have been what you I know, said. But I did watch the news after, and all I saw, I heard about the faces, but all I saw was something about mansplaining. 
Yeah, so they tried to, you know, categorize Mike Pence as when he said you're entitled to your own opinion, but not your own facts. She actually responded, good line, smiled, and then he went on to, you know, rebut the argument. And so they called that mansplaining. Every lefty network, ABC, NBC, and MSNBC, for I know for sure we're saying the same talking point. Oh, there's a lot of mansplaining going on by the vice president this evening. And, you know, like, okay, then they made it a sexist thing, right? So, again. Well, I hate to sound a little behind the times because I I, I like to say that I speak fluent left. And uh, I was doing some writing and somebody (laughs) somebody was reading it and they said, I don't even know what this means. I said, good for you because you're normal. I can read the left and it just translates in my head. But sometimes I can't. I don't understand mansplaining. I get the Me Too. I get the Black Lives Matter. I don't understand mansplaining. So anytime a man explains and the person he's explaining to is a woman, it's mansplaining? I don't understand. What, yeah. Did he say it in Apparently a certain tone? So. Did he get a Did he get a monocle and a deep voice and go, "Listen here, chickadee"? Is that what he said? I don't yeah. understand. Don't They're debating. He He's not going to be nice. Drink. He's not going to be nice. They're debating. What was he supposed to say? Yeah, and you know, people suddenly forget the rules of political debate. Political debate: the rules one through seventeen are get your talking point message out, no matter what the question is, right? That's right. it. End of story. But you're right. I, there might be a technical definition in the Urban Dictionary of what mansplaining right. is. I, I will not entertain your audience <laughs> by looking it up right now to right. tell them what it I is. I mean, we got numbers out. We could just have s- dead silence on the radio while you flip it. But you got to let the people. I could, like, use, hum. Uh, look, yeah, no, I could, he, he got to use an actual right, dictionary. song. No, he'd have to use an actual dis- dictionary. So all we hear is the pages. That, <laughs> just yeah. him turning pages. That'd be awesome. That would work, too. Yeah, um, I might I'm ready. Have a Jeopardy music candy. Can I? Can I? Can I go now, Patrick? Because I'm really excited to go. Because this is crazy. You ready? So yeah, I want to know if this made national news. Was there anything in New York uh, in in the local news in Chicago that that made your news in the in last week? No. Did anything from New York oh, make, uh, them, uh, make uh, the New Chicago? York story make Chicago news? Yeah. Uh, it would have been memorable. That, I no. think there was uh, some Cuomo stuff in the news. Oh, no, no, oh. no, 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 no. The Jews. Oh, no. You, the uh, Jews Bill, didn't Bill make Blasio. it? Bill de, Bill de Blasio is reopening some schools. In, yeah, in, uh, who cares about de Blasio? And, and no, no. Here's the story. Queenstown, here's right? the story. So supposedly COVID is kicking up in certain areas of Brooklyn. And um, right, some other, right, other than right, others. Right. So in Cuomo, Queens, in Queens yeah, too. right. So right. yeah, mostly yeah, some areas in Queens, uh, but mostly Brooklyn. And a lot of it, they, they want to blame on the religious uh, um, leaders and people going to church and blah blah blah, going to synagogue. And right. instead of now, even if that's true, you want to deal with it. That's fine. You know, words matter. Everybody beats up on Trump on the way, even when he's right, because they don't like the way he delivers it. Now, Cuomo could have done better if he would have just said, "Hey, we're, I'm, I'm really calling on the religious leaders to talk to the people and do something about it. And if you don't do anything, I'm going to have to do something." Okay, whatever. Yeah, but but what he said, he what he said that. was, yeah. "I'm going to come down there and I'm going to shut them synagogues down." Right. Oh, my God, you got to find a video. You all will love it. It was like Bizarro World. So the uh, Jewish community, especially the Orthodox community, didn't take kindly to that. So they took to the streets and started marching. Yeah. And if, yeah. Uh, many of people I know, but many people don't get this. So people don't know. They know Jews are like blacks and they tend to vote very liberal, even if they're somewhat religious. But the Orthodox community is conservative. So they, they were out there. They were out right. there three days. So the first day they were out there waving Trump banners. Most of them without masks, the ones who had masks on had on Trump masks, and they were walking in the streets at night. 
The second night, some guy was taunting him from the rooftop, and they, and they got him to come down off the rooftop, and they beat him up. Third night, they started a fire in the middle of the street. Just took the mask off, took a stack of, of masks, piled them up in the corner, and set them on fire. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> but, yeah, that, that was, uh, what, was that uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, Wednesday, Wednesday Thursday, Friday? Yeah, they, they took to the streets. Yeah, I, I think it was that. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. What, what day was it the yeah. It was Wednesday. Yeah, no, so it was Tuesday. Tuesday yeah, yeah, so it was, yeah. Uh, it was It was. before then because it started right before the debate. Yeah, so it was, it was just madness. It was hundreds of people in the street. The police didn't know what to do. It, it was crazy. And then, and like you say, the shutdown, basically parts of Brooklyn are back to New York when we were in the news and you weren't at the height. I mean, they closed everything, non-essential businesses. They closed restaurants only for takeout again, everything. Yeah. But, but here's the crazy thing for the people. Blunder. But here's a funny thing. For people who don't know New York, this is what's funny. So New York is a city of, you know, Chicago is a city of neighborhoods, 77 neighborhoods. Well, New York has a bunch of neighborhoods and they're smaller. And as more people move into New York, they've created like mid, uh, little mini neighborhoods. Like everybody knows uh, Little Italy. Now they got Nolita, which is North mm-hmm. Little Italy, right? These little tiny neighborhoods. Oh, wow. So it's okay. funny. So, so you're going to shut it down and they got a map with red, then yellow, and then green. So you're going to shut it down. So in the red zone, nobody can do anything. You're like second house. But they're not stopping people from moving. So because the guy can't go to the restaurant on the corner, what's stopping him from going two blocks to go to the next restaurant in the next neighborhood? It's insane. <laughs> and this goes back to, to the... To, the political thing is important because what your party's always talking about, Trump didn't do anything right, should have shut things out, should have done this. There is no way to do it in a free society unless you were going to send in military troops, which the left is also against. Because how are you going to stop people from moving around? Even if you stop them from flying, you can't stop them from walking, you can't stop them from driving, you can't stop them from doing anything else. So you simply could not stop it. Right. But they keep on that's, saying that's, he should have done something about it. what did you want him to do? Shoot people in the street for, for leaving a house? That's why policy matters and who we elect to uh, enforce that policy. I tell you, it's crazy. And, crazy. and then, Mich- then Michigan, the Michigan governor blames Trump for, for her impending uh, uh, attempted oh, kidnapping. Don't even get me started on oh, Whitmer. Only to oh. find out that the guy was that, uh, uh, dancing in front of an Antifa uh, banner and, yeah. and saying all this anti-Trump think, stuff. But nobody's going to report do that. Do you think this is why she wasn't the VP pick? <laughs> you think they knew? <laughs> yeah, she's, it's going to turn out to be some you know, Jesse Smollett thing. Uh, no. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, both and I, we had both you and I, we had her in the top two, right? We didn't think yeah. Smollett was going to be the pick. Yeah. We thought that Whitmer would be the, the people. Look at play. that. I took up all your time this time. Hey, real quick, real quick. We got 45 and 4, 45 shots this weekend so far with four unfortunately killed. And also, right. we've got 87 people this year shot on Chicago highways. We've got a problem in the city. Stay home, people. Stay Patrick home. Brutus, frustrated Democrat. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM560, The Answer. No. Back to the Liberty Hour. Call Sean now at 312-642-5600. Welcome back to the Liberty Hour. Charles Love here. And uh, an interesting thing happened yesterday. There was an event in D.C., which was interesting and important on a couple levels. One, because uh, the president was there and they had the big COVID uh, conversation about how he was uh, infected and he's a super spreader and he should be in the bed and he shouldn't be around people and he was having this event anyway and then um, it was a back to blue rally that was 
put together with uh, obviously police supporters, but also Candace Owens' Blexit organization. So a lot of those people descended on D.C. to go and show their support for the police. And uh, they were um, invited to some other perks and things of that nature. And and I saw the coverage, and uh, we'll get into that, but I wanted to talk to some people who went. And some of uh, AM560 sixties. Uh, People that they listen to and they love and they know, one of our own was there and uh, have her on the line, Stephanie Trussell. Stephanie, welcome to the Liberty Hour. Oh, thank you, Charles. It's, it's my pleasure to be here, and um, I appreciate the invitation. So uh, you were there. Yes, uh, I was. <laughs> hanging out in D.C., as you say, for the third time in the year, which is crazy. Yes, uh, this is and, amazing, um, yeah. And kind of give us an idea of, I guess you can start by setting up what the event was and um, and okay. um, what you were there for. And then we'll get into some couple. I got a couple other people who were there with you. Let's see if you ran into each other. Okay. But go ahead. Well, well, this was pretty amazing. Think about it. This is Trump's first post-COVID event, which is a really big deal that he decided to address the Blexit group. This was a back the blue rally. So we support our police officers. And so the Blexit organization, I believe the number that they were uh, trying to reach was 2000 people coming to the Capitol to support our, um, our police officers, let them know how much we love them. And um, it, I mean, I met someone from as far as Alaska and someone I had dinner with that was from Miami. Um, I've been attending Tea Party or conservative Republican events for over a decade, probably 15 years. And normally I go and I meet amazing people and very rarely are there more than a handful of black people, a handful of minorities. What silenced me and what had me in awe was the fact that I was there and the majority of the group was black. And when I say black, it's not a bunch of people that look like me. I mean, these were young people. These were black families, the, the husband, wife, and the kids, young kids, and, and just every spectrum of, 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 of this was covered. And it was just so cool that they were unapologetically Republican, unapologetically in support of our president. And the coolest thing, after he addressed us, we all walked to Black Lives Matter Plaza. Don't get me started as to why the mayor of D.C. decided to change that. And as we were walking there, all the black men in the group start going up and down the roads telling everybody, women and children on the inside, because we figured we'd be met with some protesters. So here are strong black men telling women <laughs> and children get on the inside of this group and where the black men and the other men of every color were on the outside to protect the women. And that's the image. That's what I grew up with, strong black men protecting women and children. Overall, I had so much fun. I really enjoyed meeting so many people from across the country. What the president said was powerful, was amazing. Um, I know that I got a lot of backlash on social media. That oh, did you? Well, we did talk about that. But hold oh on a gosh. second. Yeah. Hold on a Go second. Ahead. We want to get your, one of your buddies in here. We got P. Ray okay. from Chicago is here as well. Uh, P. Ray, yeah. welcome to the Liberty Hour. Hi, good afternoon or good evening. Hi, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, yeah. you two know yeah, each P. other. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, I see, P. Ray. Oh, okay. Yes. And wait, wait. But P. Ray is. Um, I, I, when I say this, I mean this lovingly. She's bad. She and I shouldn't be hanging out together because no, there's not the other one there to say don't do that. Because we were challenging every liberal that we saw. Um, every, um, I mean, there are a bunch of protesters the day before the event. We walked by the White House, and she and I, everybody that we met, we told them why they should vote for our president. And, and nothing was bad. I mean, we had some really great exchanges. Mm-hmm. There was nothing volatile, but. That video that I posted of us out there got lots of um, hits. And P- Patricia is fired up, young, knowledgeable, and people don't know what to do with her. 
<laughs> yeah, that that's really important. So, so you were you were about to talk about um, uh, the president's speech. Uh, well, before I get to that, um, do you want to tell me something, Patricia, that you saw there that got really stood out? Yeah. So, excuse me, my voice is hoarse because again, um, we were out there t- talking to the people. I was literally standing in front of the White House, screaming, "Save Black Chicago and vote for Donald Trump." Um, <laughs> and so. I don't um, have my voice anymore, but I organized Black Chicago for Trump. And what this is a an event that we have every October with Turning Point U.S. or not Turning Point USA, but Blexit. So Candace Owens started this group in 2008. I'm sorry, 2018, and we go to Washington D.C. every year to greet the president and kind of network with other Black conservatives so that we don't believe that we're on an island. So for me, this is like an annual homecoming. And it was absolutely beautiful. Um, I got to really network not only with people around the country, but people who are in the Trump administration and on the Trump Advisory Council. One thing that connected me to this group was my passion for the housing here in Chicago. Uh, CHA has hoarded over a half a billion dollars of federal housing money for the past 20 years. Oh, I'm oh. oh okay. I'll wait. Oh, okay. We'll hold it there. When we come back, we'll talk more about the Blexit event in D.C. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM 560, The Answer. You're listening to the Liberty Hour with Sean Thompson. Get on the line with Sean by calling 312 Six four two fifty six hundred. Welcome to the back to the Liberty Hour. Charles Love here, talking with attendees at the Blexit Back to Blue event yesterday in D.C. We got to listen to Trump, uh, his speech, and um, I got an interesting story for you all to hear. So I definitely want you all to, as you drop off, because there's other people on the line and I want to get them in too, but to listen, because I want you to know what, what I was watching while you were listening to the, the president speak. But Patricia, you were going to finish uh, something with uh, some of the groups that you met there? So I, to, to make a long story very short, I initially <laughs> got involved with Blexit to have an opportunity to speak with Dr. Carson about the housing situation here in Chicago. And um, Dr. Carson kept his word to me and did exactly what he told me he would do. And so a girl, because, again, we started this in 2018, so some people took the opportunity to go work for the administration. And I met someone on the Trump Advisory Council, and she said, hey, I remember you were in the room talking about some housing stuff in Chicago with Dr. Carson. Did it work out? And I'm like, oh, my God, you remember? Yes, it worked out perfectly. So not only are we there accomplishing networking with each other, but we're also kind of like renegade politicians for ourselves because sometimes right. it takes a little more advocacy to get things done. And that's why I like going to this event because it gives us access to talk to people um, that we normally would not have an opportunity to talk to in mm-hmm. order to accomplish big goals. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for calling. Go enjoy your dinner. And, and that this is really important because people need to know whatever your views of the president are regardless, even when Obama was there, if you're a conservative, you didn't like Obama. If the guy's in the seat and he's got that kind of power, you need to be able to uh, work with him and, and go there and demand what you want because he is your president and those people work for you. So how can you just say, I don't like his politics, so I'm not going to go talk to him? It seems senseless to me. So um, 
Felicity's on the line. I'll let you uh, tell me what you experienced there, and then I'm going to uh, tell you all uh, who were attending what I saw on TV, which will shock you, kind of. Felicity, welcome to the Liberty Hour. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's very exciting. I like having time, half. Uh, I just want people to know that I got like 50% of the black conservative female show here with uh, you and uh, Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> you sure do. Exactly. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. Every 75% there. Yeah, there you <laughs> Mikkel was there as well. Oh, cool. So what was it like? It was just amazing. It was my first time at a Blackfoot event and to... Uh, land from the plane on Friday with the news that you've been invited to the White House. Like, not oh, even so knowing. Oh, so you all didn't know this at the beginning. In. This wasn't the original Did part of the plan. Did not know. Wow. Did not know. That's really cool. exciting. Actually, things were pretty fluid the whole time. I I heard that they planned this entire event in three weeks. And mm-hmm. so we would get like important announcement emails very often during. So it was kind of like, Where's Waldo or something? It was like always very exciting um, what was coming up. But uh, yeah, it was just it was just amazing. Felt treated like a total VIP. I've always wanted to stay at the W Hotel. I mean, it was just like um, one thing after another. It was incredible. And the best part, I I believe that we are the first crowd that President Trump ended his speech by saying, "I love you," and wow. I felt that love. Well, so I, I want to know before I go to the next caller, I want to know what exactly did were you all prepared for the uh, point in this uh, rally when the uh, police sick the dogs on you? I mean, because obviously that's what happens whenever you know black people get together and and, and rally that uh, the police attack them. So were you were did you go there in preparation for all the attacks you were going to get? <laughs> I mean, that is what's supposed to happen. That's what history tells us. That's what what everyone says. It's just so exciting to be a part of changing that narrative. And that there was so much video, there was so much coverage because it was his first time speaking since he was sick. Um, And to have so many faces of color seen in support of our president, you could just tell the enthusiasm and, and feel the love. The police officers, the smiles on their faces, knowing we were there for them. It was genuine. Right. You know, right. they were like, I mean, they, they, they know when they're in danger and they know when they're being supported. Right. But that's, that's really important. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned it. So I didn't think about that. So they have to do their part whenever there's a large crowd. They got to do their part and be out there and traffic control, whatever. It must be something, regardless of the politics, to be able to, as this has been going on for so many months, to go out there and just know that I'm going to be able to do this and these people aren't going to do anything and turn on me and be violent and get in my face. That's got to be good. So, I mean, that, that had to feel good in addition to the fact that you were there to support them. But even if that that's not the case, just the fact that they know, you know, for this one time, for these few hours that, you know, we are in positive company. So I want to tell you, I'm going to go to another call in a minute. But first, I got to tell you all a story. You will love this. While you are, we're having fun on the South Lawn with the president. I never do it. I haven't in about three years. But I'm like, oh, my God. I need to turn to CNN. I wonder if they're covering this. So I turned it, and in the defense they were, but oh, were they covering it. So I'm sitting there, whole family watching the news, and we turn it on, and it's the four or five pack, four people with Frederica, and Carl uh, Bernstein is one of them. 
and he's talking about this was a national security threat and he should be shouldn't the fact that he's having an event is the bigger problem he's sick we need to know if he's dying he said that he is uh, mentally and physically and mentally impaired because of the virus and I'm thinking when did mental impairment become a side effect of COVID but okay keep going Frederica is a black woman if you don't watch CNN because I didn't know who she was. And she was just talking with such disgust and eye rolling and these people, this kind of thing. So you'll love this. So I'm sitting there with my son. My son's four. And he's watching the TV. And he's like looking at the kids. And his eyes gets wide because they're saying that no one's wearing masks. But their video is literally showing people wearing masks. This is the way you were covered uh, while you were enjoying yourself on the South Lawn. Uh, you're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM560, The Answer. This is the Liberty Hour. Here's your host, Sean Thompson, on AM560, The Answer. Welcome back to the Liberty Hour. We were talking about, before the break, the Trump event yesterday with the Blixit crew, and we have another attendee, Claston Bernard, on the line, author of Outcast. Claston, welcome to the Liberty Hour. Hey, Charles, man, it's a pleasure to be on. Well, it's good to have you. We're going to have to come back, have you back to talk about the book. But now let's just talk about uh, yesterday. Stephanie mentioned that it was uh, when she goes to uh, conservative events, she has all type of groups, but it's rare that she gets to see families and all that kind of stuff. You're someone there who had uh, your family along with you. Yes, um, this is an event that I wanted my family to be a part of. And, you know, when you look back at the 1960s and 50s, when you saw MLK and you saw um, blacks or minorities that were marching, they looked like family. You saw their family. You saw strength. You, you know, I, I long I, I long to see those days. You know, I wasn't born during that time, but, you know, the history is there. It's rich. And I know there, there's still that. We, we still have that part of us in this country and i would love to see that and yesterday i think was the first step in that direction again and um this event back the blue um because you know law enforcement is not just important for the wealthy it's important for the the, the minority it keeps um it keeps those people safe so you know this is the first step because people want to be safe not just the people who are well to do or people who can afford it um, so this event was just a wonderful, wonderful event, you know, um, family, like I said, you know, to have my daughters there, you know, this is something that will be etched in their mind, you know, to be able their minds, you know, to be able to go to the white house and, mm-hmm. and witness the, the president. And, um, you know, they can look back at this moment in, you know, 20, 30 years from now and says, wow, you know, this was where America turned the corner. And, um, uh, this is the kind of event, you know, I wish when we're marching, um, you know, along the black lives matter, matter, um, plaza you know we started um singing you know honored christian soldiers marching on to war you know this you know i wish that was because that was so fitting because that's what we're that's what we're in but i I believe um this this was just this step in the right direction and you know we uh i talked to before about i told my story about watching cnn and my son looking at the tv and he made this face again four and he looked at me and he looking at the tv because the woman he's four said the woman says these people were largely not wearing masks but the video their own video forget about being there their own video showed i want to say 95 percent of the people in their video cnn cameraman had masks on so my son's looking at me so i said I told him to look and said, tell them, tell me if that's true. Count how many people are most of the people wearing masks or not wearing masks. He looked, he's like, 
they're wearing masks. I'm like, okay. You know, so, and it's funny because you're one of those people that thinks that you don't need to wear a mask every day and they're going overboard with all this. But you tweeted out this wonderful picture of you on the South Lawn with the balcony behind you and you were wearing a mask. Tell them about these lies that CNN, CNN is telling to people. You know, you know, I'm so happy you put out there because this mask thing to me is more about control in a lot of ways. But there, there, there are times and places where things are necessary. And um, even if, you know, just, just to, to put that aside. And, you know, I feel like um, there are instances where we just, you know, the government is just doing too much to control our every, every movement. Now, to get into the White House, you had to have a mask. That was the first requirement. So if there were people in the crowd who weren't wearing the mask, they probably were drinking a refreshment. They may have been having a conversation. Taking what a picture, case? right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I took my, you know, I took my mask off, especially, you know, away from the crowd, too. Um, just, to, you know, so I could get a picture of my face. You know, you want to you wanna put this in memory. And you don't mm-hmm. want to have this big old thing across, you know, blocking, you know, even though it was the American flag and I was repping that. Right. But at the end of the day, what they were trying to do and what they're trying to say is, I can say this. Don't believe us, these left-wing media. Don't believe CNN. <laughs> you, you know, just like your four, <laughs> you, you know, your son could see the contradiction. Kids see the truth. They yeah. see all this, you know. And um, what they are trying to do, and what they, what they are trying to do to this country and to this president. First of all, we were there for the Brexit back. Well, back with we're them. up against a hard break. We'll have to do this again and bring you back. But uh, thank you for calling and giving people the truth of what was happening. You're listening to the Liberty Hour on AM five sixty. The answer. Great week. I have to go home. I have to go home. I have to go home. I have to go home.